Well, it's a new month and the new month is about the reflective life. I think that's a great theme and um, last week I was away at uh, ministering at Fusion Church and had a great time out there but as I always do when I get back home I uh, wait till four o'clock in the afternoon and I look online and I watch the message uh, from Capital Edge as I'm sure you all do and uh, We had a great message from Pastor Hamish last week on what do these stones mean to you? All about reflecting on the goodness of God in our life. And so we're going to continue with that theme, reflecting, the reflective life. You know, the Bible actually says quite a lot about just stopping to reflect on the goodness of God, to just stop and reflect in Life. We saw that scripture on the ad in church news this morning, Psalm 4610. Be still and know that I am God. You read that whole psalm, Psalm 46, it's about calamity. It's about catastrophe. There's all sorts of things going on in the world at the time. There's earthquakes. There's all sorts of things mentioned in that psalm. And right in the middle, verse 10, it says, hey, wait a minute. Be still. Be still. Just Calm your farm, be still and know that I am God. The Bible talks a lot about that sort of thing, reflecting on the blessings and reflecting on the benefits of the Lord in your life. Psalm 143 verse 5, David says this, he says, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your works. I muse. What a great word, muse. I muse on the work of of your hands. What's he saying there? He's saying, remember what God has done in the past. Reflect on the goodness of God. Reflect on his works. Muse on his hands. That means to think deeply and expansively on. Remember, reflect. Psalm 103 verse 2 says this, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. Don't forget his benefits. Reflect on the blessings of God in your life. Of course, Jesus, we've just celebrated communion. Jesus said this. He said, as often as you do this, when you take the bread, you drink the cup, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Communion is a moment to regularly reflect on the sacrifice and the goodness of God that brought us to a place of salvation. Isaiah 46.9 says this, Remember the former things of old. Remember the former things of old, for I am God. So this is God himself speaking through the prophet Isaiah saying, uh, listen, take time to reflect on things of the past. So reflecting is important. There's something significant in us taking time to reflect And yet we also read these scriptures just three chapters before we are told, remember the former things of old in Isaiah, it says this, forget the former things. (laughs) It's what it says, it's Bible. Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past for I am doing a new thing. Hang on a minute. 
One second we're hearing, remember the former things. And the next minute from the same prophet, we're hearing, forget the former things. What's going on there? In fact, Paul, in Philippians 3.13, you may know the passage well. He says, forget those things which are behind and press on to those things that lie ahead. So what's going on here? On the one hand, we remember and on the other hand, we forget. Is the Bible contradicting itself here? Well, the answer to that is no. You see, the message is really clear if we look at those verses that we take time to reflect on the former things, but we don't take up residence there. It's important to reflect, but we don't take up residence there. We learn from the past, but we don't live in the past. And that's what it's saying here. You know, one of the most valuable things in your car is your rear view mirror. I use my rear view mirror and I hope you use your rear view mirror from time to time as well. It's an important thing. It makes you aware of your surroundings, what's going on around you. It it helps you with any blind spots that you may have. It, It helps. It's like a safety check for navigating out into the flow of traffic. I remember when I first went for uh, my driving lessons as a kid, I can remember the instructor saying, now one of the very first things you do, John, once you've done your seatbelt up, is you check your rear view mirror. You check what's going on around you. It gives you confidence to set out on your journey. It prepares you to move forward. The rear view mirror is really, really important. In fact, when you think about the rear view mirror, it is in fact a literal reflection of your past. It's a reflection of those things that are behind and it's so important. But can you imagine that one day you decide that, well, today going to work, I'm going to drive, but I'm not going to look out the front window I'm not going to look out to the left. I'm not going to look out to the right. I'm just going to drive my way to work by only focusing on the rear view mirror. I can guarantee, friends, that it would not be a safe trip. I can guarantee that you'd probably end up off the road somewhere or you might end up uh, having a, a, a crash because that's not how you're meant to drive. You see, permanent reflection on your past hinders you moving forward. In fact, the only time that you have a sustained look at the past in your rear view is when you're actually going in reverse. You see, you live in the past, you end up compromising your future. You live in the past, you end up going backwards. So what are the benefits, therefore, of reflecting? I think there's a number of different benefits of reflecting. The first is simply this, to remind. To remind ourselves, to remember, to reflect on the the choices that we have made and the lessons that we have learned in life. To evaluate our successes and our failures, the good and perhaps the not so good, and see God's hand on your life in spite of the circumstances that you may have faced along the way. 
I know I've met many people who have made a decision to follow Jesus and in retrospect, they've looked back at their life and they can honestly say this, in spite of the horrific circumstances that I was going through on my journey before I met Jesus, the truth is this, that from this side, I can reflect back and I can see that he was there all the time. He was there all the time to remind ourselves. Another benefit of reflecting is to re-establish, to re-establish what's important, what are the priorities in life, what are my dreams, what are my desires, what are the goals and the plans and perhaps take those and re-establish those and then say, okay, because of those goals and dreams and desires, what next? Where do I go next? Revelation 2 gives us an example of this kind of re-establishing. Where Jesus says to the church of Ephesus, he says, church, you've lost your first love. But what does he say? He says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to return. I want you to reflect. I want you to go back to those former things that you did when you first fell in love with me and start doing those things all over again. To reestablish once again. Another benefit of reflecting is to reignite. To reflect again on your call. And your purpose in God and the gifts that he has given you so that you can live a fruitful life. To fan into flame that which will keep you in pursuit of his plan for you. I've said this before, but in my office I have a little picture that Pastor Alan actually took a picture of on one of his walks one day. And it's a picture of a, an old tree. An old, worn-out tree, a big, large tree, and out of that tree is growing a tender shoot, something new, something vibrant. And underneath that picture, I've got written Ezekiel 17 because that was the scripture for me to come here. That was my calling to come here. It says, I have taken a tender shoot out of a tall cedar and transplanted it into the capital. And so there are times in my walk, in my journey, that I reflect, especially in this last, can I say, this last five years have been pretty tough, haven't they? Dealing with all sorts of things going on in this world. And there's times when I thought, man, I don't know that I've got what it takes to go, to go on with this. And then I've looked at that picture. I've looked at that scripture, said, but your calling, John, is that God took you out of a tall, tall tree in Adelaide and he transplanted you to the capital. And so you're here in my purpose. So to reignite, to re-fan the, the flame in our lives, another, another benefit of reflecting is to renew. To renew your commitment once again to the Lord. To remain steadfast, to hold on to his promises. You know, that may involve some things like repenting of those times that you've gotten sidetracked. I know I've done that. Through my journey, there's been times when I've said, God, I missed it there. You know, I repent of that. Lord, I renew my commitment to this particular area of my life. Uh, I don't want to be sidetracked and, and to repent of those times when perhaps we've fallen short in disobedience and ask for forgiveness. So important that we do that. And here's another reason that we reflect. It is to restore. To restore. You see, reflecting is actually a posture of rest. It's taking a moment. It's stopping. 
It's cutting out all the white noise. It's, it's, it's just taking that moment to say, I'm just going to be still and know that he is God. It's a time when we're refreshed in our body, our soul and our spirit. So to reflect, it, it is to remind, re-establish, reignite, renew and restore. And it's this very last reason to restore that I want to focus on. To reflect, to restore. I honestly look back at the last five years, maybe even the last decade, and I look at it and I think that the cry of the world in the last decade is for restoration. It's for restoration. How many times have we heard statements like, I wish things were just back to what they were before the dreaded COVID. I wish things were just back to what they were back 10 years ago. I look at some of the bestseller lists for books, for the secular market and for the Christian market. And I look at the titles there of bestsellers in the non-fiction category. And, you know, just about all of them in the last five years have titles to do with finding value in life, finding meaning, dealing with hardship and injustice, finding peace, finding contentment, taking in the beauty of nature and everything surrounding us, escaping from the rat race. It's all about reflecting to restore. And we need to find rest. We need to find peace. We need to take that moment to reflect and meditate, to restore our body, soul and spirit. So this morning, I want to read to you just three verses. Three verses from perhaps the most perfect passage on restoration in the Bible. You know, it's interesting that this passage, it's about the, the journey of our life and it's about God restoring and God comforting us along this journey and being with us with his presence. But you know, I've got to look back a long way to have heard a message on this passage. In fact, most of the times I hear this passage today is at funerals. Why is it that we wait till death to seriously talk about life? Interesting. In fact, Solomon said this in Ecclesiastes. He said, you know what? It's probably more important to focus on funerals and festivals at times, to focus on what life is really all about. So let me take you to this passage. Some of you would have guessed what it is already, Psalm 23. And I just want to look at the very first three verses. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Everyone say, he restores my soul. He, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. What beautiful words. He restores my soul. The New Life Translation says it this way. You make me strong again. 
The Passion Translation says, He restores and revives my life. The NIV says it this way, He refreshes my soul. The New Living says this, He renews my strength. And the message by Eugene Peterson, I like what he says. He says, True to your word, you let me catch my breath. How nice is that? He restores my soul. That word restore there is a Hebrew word. And this is what it means. It means to advance again, to build again, to send again, to carry again, to convert again, to deliver again, to go again, to refresh again, to take back again. That's what it means. You see, the picture here (coughs) is very much to reflect and to rest so that you are restored to a place of being able to get up and go again with renewed energy and vitality. That's a great word, to restore. You see, reflecting to restore enables us to pursue life with a renewed vigour. I think sometimes the reason we can wake up in the morning and say, I'm not sure I can face this day. I'm not sure I can face today or tomorrow is that we've not taken the time to reflect and to restore our soul. And so we're going to talk about that today. (coughs) Excuse me. You see, in these three verses, there are a number of different keys to a restored soul. And we're just going to look at the very first one today because we're going to set up the next three weeks of looking at the reflective life and in particular looking at reflect to restore. So the first key is found in this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And here is the key for us today. If you want a restored life, you need to be led by the shepherd. If you want a restored life, you need to be led by the shepherd. You know, people are led by all sorts of things these days. People are led by all sorts of things, but let me tell you, none of those things lead to true restoration unless it's the shepherd who actually leads. Remember years ago, there was a movie that people were raving about called Eat, Pray and Love with Julia Roberts. It was a movie based on Elizabeth Gilbert's book and people were saying, oh, such a good movie. It's about discovering the meaning of life. It's about taking time to discover and meditate and experience what life is all about. So I decided to investigate. I watched the movie. I read some information about Elizabeth Gilbert, who passed away a couple of years ago. And I discovered this. I discovered that it was an awful movie. based on a mind-numbing book written by a confused author offering meaningless answers. That's what I discovered. But I discovered a bit more than that. I discovered that people are searching for 
meaning in all sorts of things. People are wanting restoration. They're looking in all sorts of places. You know, reason or logic, it may lead to realisation, but it won't lead to restoration. If it feels good, do it. Well, listen, that may lead to sensation, but it won't lead to restoration. Chasing the dream. Oh, isn't it great to chase the dream? Chasing the dream, it may lead to elevation, but it won't lead to restoration. Religion, philosophy, listen, it may lead to some kind of revelation, but it won't lead to restoration. Getting back to the simple life. Oh, how we cry for that. Getting back to the simple life. Listen, it may lead to relaxation, but it won't lead to restoration. Having it all, having everything we could possibly want. Listen, it may lead to celebration, but it won't lead to restoration. Breaking free of all the restrictions. It may lead to emancipation, but it won't lead to restoration. Did you get that one, Hamish? Expecting that one? (laughs) Ambition. Ambition may lead to acceleration, but it won't lead to restoration. Friends, true restoration happens when you submit to the leading of the shepherd. When you respond to his leading, you start to realise that he has everything that you could possibly want or need. And in Psalm 23, this passage, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We see that the shepherd truly leads us and when he does, we have rest. We have perspective, we have security, we have provision, we have our get up and go again. In fact, it tells us that we can face the valley of the shadow of death with hope and with comfort and with assurity, no matter what's going on in life, because the shepherd leads us. And the question this morning is simply this, is the shepherd leading your life or something or someone else? Have we replaced the the shepherd leader for the self-leader? Remember people saying to me over the years, you know, the the person that knows best for my life is me. You know, I'm the one that can make the truth of my life. I'm the one that knows where I stand. And, And I thought about that. I thought, really? Really? Let me read to you just a short passage from The good book, Psalm 139. O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my every thought when far away. You chart the path ahead of me and tell me where to stop and rest. Every moment you know where I am. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You both proceed and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to know. I can never 
escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to the heaven, you're there. If I go down to the place of the dead, you're there. If I ride on the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the furthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are both alike to you. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvellous and how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I wove together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God? They are innumerable. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up in the morning, you are still with me. Wow. Friends, that's the shepherd. That's the one who knows us by name. In John 10, we read of Jesus, the good shepherd, the good shepherd. And in that beautiful passage, which is a key passage for us as a church this year, it tells us that the good shepherd is good and gracious towards us that he is sacrificial towards us, that he is incredibly passionate about his flock, that he's interested and, and meticulous in taking care of the one, taking care of the individual, that we can easily recognise his voice, that he knows and he understands everyone's specific character and need, that he knows you and I by name. That he's keen that each one of us should find provision. That he reaches out and he searches for the strays and the prodigals and the lost to bring them home. That he gives us life to the max. He gives us abundance. What a good shepherd. I mean, why wouldn't you want to follow the leading of the shepherd? I think the number one reason why people don't enter into wholeness in life why people don't enter into healing and restoration is that they don't follow the leading of the shepherd. Billy Graham said this. He said, many make Jesus saviour of their life, but they don't make him lord of their life. They want the benefits of salvation, but don't want the direction of his command. Wow. I'll gladly take the pleasure of the green pastures, Lord. But don't ask me to submit to the authority of the Good Shepherd. And so because of the shepherd's incredible love and grace, because of his love and grace, people are dining on the nutrition of his blessing mistakenly thinking they're getting restored when really they're just getting fat on the goodness of God. You know, for years I lived like that. Brought up in a Christian home, 
pastor's kid, in fact, fourth generation pastor, brought up in a Christian home and, and listen, just going through the, the Christian churchy life, doing what's required, turning up on a Sunday, just being there, going through the routines, yes, having accepted salvation, having saved the prayer at some time in my life when I was just a little boy, Jesus come into my heart, make a difference in my life. But then just going through the motions, I did that for many, many years rather than pursuing a real relationship with Jesus Christ. One day, I was impacted powerfully by that statement of Billy Graham. Is he just saviour of your life? Is he just your insurance policy for eternity? Or is he Lord? Is he someone who you submit to as shepherd of your life? Perhaps it's time. Perhaps it's time for us to stop grazing in the paddock and submit to his lordship. His lordship. Perhaps it's time to obey the leading of the shepherd because, friends, he is the answer to wholeness and restoration in our lives. Amen. Reflecting to restore. The first key is being led by the shepherd. Next week, we're going to talk about the second key, entering into his rest. And I think you'll discover that that rest is a little bit different from what we think of.